get a cup of coffee in here, please? about today but um we will later on in the program uh um <laughs> i can't remember his name now i know uh, this is bad i better remember his name pretty quickly uh, before 10 o'clock anyway the director producer of the comedy club the film uh the comedy club about Cobb's comedy club in um, san francisco burning down and the, the effort to rebuild it and restore it on will be with me today because they're going to be having a special theatrical screening of it, I guess, uh, for Will Durst tomorrow night, or to benefit Will, no, not tomorrow night, is it tomorrow night? It's the 11th, I think that's Saturday, I better get my, my facts straight here, uh, uh, Comedy Club is, uh, hold on, let me get get this straight. I think it's uh, Daniel Schendel. I, I just don't want to say his name wrong, uh, the director. But um, when is it going to be invited for a special uh, benefit? Damn, they don't say a date here anywhere. You know, when you put events like this together, you should, uh, should have a date. Anyway, I think it's tomorrow night. But for some reason now I'm thinking it might be the 11th, which is, what, Saturday night? I don't know. Saturday night, yes. Anyway, the film The Comedy Club. Uh, Cobb's Comedy Club uh, is a place where many, many popular comedians, uh, very popular comedians got their, I don't want to say got their start, but got their first taste of uh, fame, first real Headlining spots, we're talking about people like uh, Dana Carvey and Bob Saget and Robin Williams and uh, Jim Carrey, lots of people like that. So the film contains uh, Bob Goldthwait. film contains a lot of footage of uh, those people and then the commentary from them now about uh, rescuing the club. The club burned down in, I believe it was 2002. And so... Uh, um, they they built it together. They rallied around, refused to let the place die, uh, and the film is a documentary about that situation. Now, Will Durst, a great comedian, uh, suffered a stroke a couple of years ago and has been in assisted living ever since. And as most comics, as you know, probably know, uh, don't have a lot of health insurance. I mean, it's not a it's not a job that pays for your health insurance. So, um, Will finds himself uh, running out of money living in assisted living and very much in need of the assisted living program since he's had a stroke and is pretty much debilitated. Big problem when you're a comedian uh, you know, or a musician or anybody in the arts who uh, traditionally have had no 
health insurance. And uh, when something, a catastrophe like that strikes, um, bad stuff happens. So, uh, you know what? Maybe I'll pay, play the trailer. Why don't we do that? I'll play the trailer. Can I do that? Bring it back to the start here. Can I? Yes, we can bring it back to the start there. Uh, I'm going to play the trailer for you, and then you'll get an idea of what we're going to be talking about at probably at the 10 o'clock hour. Um, back over here. You can see I'm, I'm still uh, half asleep here. <laughs> As usual, uh, comedy club. What the comedy club? Audio's on. Let's see if we do this. Yes, we can. <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's no hurry. I'm just trying to figure out this movie thing. Oh, which club put your name on the marquee for the first time? Could be Cobb's Pub. Take two. Cobb's Pub was the first place that had me in the marquee. 12.20 a.m., the call goes out. One of San Francisco's most historic buildings is engulfed in flames in the heart of the busy tourist district. I lost my job. You know, I became a headliner working at Cobb's. That's the reality together and started doing longer sets. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't really lose my job. I mean, I know where it is still. <laughs> Just when I go there, there's this new guy doing it. As firefighters continue to battle, they're beginning to assess the damage. But how do you put a price on history? have been here for 15 years. I mean, this is a home for a lot of people. Tom Sawyer, the guy who founded Cops. It's awesome, and that's his butt. I think Tom Sawyer has a uh, very questionable um, background. You know, I don't quite trust him. I, no, I remember first hearing the name and thinking, oh, stop. Who would do that to their child? Paul and Anita Sawyer. Proud owners of Tom Sawyer. <laughs> the thing about Cobbs that set it apart is Tom's eye. He actually gave me a bit that I'm doing now. Of course, he may not look at it as something he gave me, but rather something I owe him for. <laughs> Cobbs is closing in this venue, but will there be a Cobbs down the road somewhere else in San Francisco? The situation here is Cabal's been up for about four days, up and up Cobbs Comedy Club, because he loves comedy, he loves Tom. Tom's going to get a 10% discount on an advertisement. We're kissing all right, we want stage time. That's why everybody's here. San Francisco's nothing but history of comedy. Cobbs was one of the best clubs down the street, and now I think it's going to be better. It's huge, and then there's that intimate room. This is it. This is your office. Look at this. Seriously, if you look up the word <laughs> hole in the dictionary. They emailed Tom and asked him what we'd be doing, and he never replied. Uh, uh, my eyes are killing me. I know I'm inhaling that God didn't create. It's diversity is what it's all about. A black guy, some Latino dudes, a gay guy, all helping to make a white guy a lot of money. Cops Comedy Club reopening people at a great location near a couple of my favorite bars. That's going to be a rocking block right there. Cops is local. It's old school. It's been here a long time. It's not owned by some giant corporation like every other comedy club yep. in this area. Yeah. Support your local comedy club. Yeah. Now, I wonder what that HP was about. I could have sworn I heard somebody say the name Hank Porter in there. <laughs> I mean, it's been 
delusional about that. Anyway, that's what we'll be talking about in the 10 o'clock hour. Good morning, uh, Craig and Ken and Diggs and Jeff and Paul. Nice to see you guys this morning. Uh, what is that Picardo like? I still have not uh, been able to find out where we are on that platform. I know we are on that platform as of last week. Uh, I see some people over there. I don't uh, understand what that is. I see somebody on Twitch, though. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Craig is saying um, doesn't even pay royalties. Comedy doesn't pay royalties? I, um, I'm not sure about that. I mean, if you have a, a recorded work, just as in music, I think, you'd, of course, you get royalties. I don't know what, what what the meaning of that is, Craig, but you please uh, enlighten me. Show me what the hell you mean, because it's too early for me to think. Anyway, good morning. Um, still following this Ghislaine, Jizzy, Ghislaine. I know it's Ghislaine now. People have been uh, very kind to correct me on the proper pronunciation of Jizzy's name. But I'm going to call it Jizzy from now on. From, from here till eternity because she'll always be Jizzy in my heart. Now, um, the trial is in its, I think, fifth day today. I don't know. I'm losing track what days are it. But, um, oh, Spotify, yeah, fuck Spotify. But uh, that should be uh, everybody's motto, fuck Spotify. Fuck, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, Spotify doesn't even really pay any anybody any royalties. The only but. Uh, but they're paying right now is Joe Rogan. No, that's not true. They have handed out three or four deals similar to Joe Rogan's, not as big as Joe Rogan's, to other content creators, people I've never heard of. Uh, apparently, there's a girl who does girly shit. <laughs> I'm gonna need trouble for that. Girly shit podcasts, uh, and that comedian uh, just. Girly shit, you know what I mean by girly shit, you know, how to fucking paint your goddamn toes. I don't know. Uh, girly shit, uh, that's her podcast. And they gave her a, uh, not a deal as quite as big as Rogan's, but I think it was $40 million or something. It was it was significant. Spotify's got money to pay these. And he, oh, now you got me, you got me on a whole anti-Spotify thing, but, um, Really, man, Spotify. They're paying Joe Rogan $130 million and not paying comedians for the albums that they worked hard on. Joe Rogan just basically sits on his ass and lets the celebrity guests uh, do all the heavy lifting for him, and they give him $130 million. Um, does Joe Rogan... Uh, and I'm, I'm, I hate to be, you know, focus on Rogan, but Rogan and the people like him that Spotify is employing now. Employing. Well, I, I'm sure Rogan doesn't think of himself as an employee. Probably the, the girl who does the girly podcast <laughs> doesn't think of herself as an employee. So uh, people, they have, are contracted for these big deals. I'm just I'm not sure that they are justifying really the cost. I mean, are, are people going to Spotify for Rogan? Um, he's exclusively on Spotify, I guess, so they have to go there. But the clips are still on YouTube. They break it down into clips. 
I think the girly <laughs> podcaster is still doing that. And there's three or four of them. It's not just one or two. It's just not not Rogan, but he's the biggest one. But they have all this money for them and not pennies for the people who are actually bringing new ears, new listeners to the platform. doesn't make sense from a business perspective, if you ask me. And, you, you know, it's penny-wise and dollar-foolish. I mean, we're really talking about minuscule amounts of money, 0.006 cents per stream. It means you have to, you know, 1,000 streams to get uh, 6 cents. 1,000 streams. So a million streams, you get $600 or something like that. Whatever it is, it's, it's or is it $60? I don't know. The checks from Spotify. I mean, I've gotten checks from, I've gotten deposits from Spotify. And uh, they wouldn't pay for my coffee this morning. I, I promise you that. So the model is fuck Spotify. Anyway, we'll be talking about the comedy club later on, and uh, I was talking about uh, Jizzy and her trial. I still think she's going to get off. Uh, prosecution's making some damage now, of, uh, establishing the fact that she was clearly the head of the household. Uh, the girls could not, uh, or nobody could actually look Epstein in the eye unless he uh, he confronted them, and he basically talked to nobody. I mean, just laying Jizzy. Elaine, Jizzy uh, did all the talking, did all the giving orders, uh, ran the household. They've established that pretty clearly. And then one of the um, alleged victims showed some paperwork that when she was in school, uh, she was in some vocational school, but still was 17. And the name on the uh, supervising adult who was paying the bills for the school was not Jeffrey Epstein, but... Uh, Jizzy, Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, obviously paying for her. Uh, she's staying at the uh, ranch in New Mexico, staying on the island, I guess, a couple of times. Um, but so they've been able to establish that Jizzy is uh, very much hands-on in in the um, running of the Epstein pedophile or party train, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, you know, they've established that. So maybe she won't get off, but it, I, I think this the, the defense is still pretty pretty solid in the fact that um, they're, they're painting a picture of a prosecution that really wants to get one guy, but because they killed him or he killed himself, if you want to believe that. Uh, he's not around anymore, and they can't get him, so they're going to get go after her. It just makes a lot of sense to me. And I know uh, from what I understand, now I'm not in the courtroom, neither are you, but uh, from what I understand from people who are in the courtroom, uh, people on the jury seem to be uh, agreeing, with, nodding in the affirmative with um, the defense counsel making that case that they're not really after her, they're really after him, but since... He's not here. They're going after her. Now, uh, there was a expert, uh, a prosecution expert, who testified about the five phases of grooming pedophiles go through to in order to control and uh, first get access to uh, the, the victims and then kind of 
mind fucked them before you actually fucked them. And so uh, that per that witness, prosecution witness, was supposedly very effective in looking, you know, professional uh, testimony. And so she was looking people right in the eye and um, the jury right in the eye and making eye contact with them, talking directly to them and uh, getting some nodding in, in agreement again. So, uh, you know, it could go either way, but I'm still, still thinking she's going to walk. Um, it might be a longer trial than, uh, than I thought it might be you know, originally be. Uh, so it could go on for weeks and weeks, this thing. Still not, uh, they're still making a big deal over names in the black books and names that come out. Again, uh, rich and powerful people make contacts. So I think it's unfair, especially when we're talking about a, a subject that's so taboo, to kind of associate anybody who ha- might have come across them or um, had some business dealings with them in any way to assume that they were part of the uh, pedophilia and part of the, you know, teenage girl raping. I call it pedophilia. I'm still calling it that. I know that's not the technical right word for it now, but uh, whatever it was they are doing, the kink shit, uh, let's put it, we'll call it the kink shit. Uh, no reason to necessarily assume that every name in that book is uh, associated with the kink shit. They may be, but you know you don't have any evidence of that until you have evidence of it. And so uh, I think people are quick to say, "Oh, look, and he, he knew Epstein. He must be a pervert." Could be, uh, you know, I, I hooked him up with uh, an accountant. I recommended an accountant to him, and he put me put my name in his book. And I'm not saying me; he doesn't know. <laughs> but you know, if you're, I don't know, name any celebrity whose name happens to be in that book. Uh, something we didn't talk about last week: Alec Baldwin. I think that's pretty funny. Uh, not not the death, obviously. I don't think that's pretty funny. I think uh, Alec Baldwin going on. Uh, George Stephanopoulos, Stephanopoulos, fucking, I can't talk in the morning, and crying like a like a bitch and putting on his uh, routine there. That was pretty funny because you know you know his whole life, Alex Baldwin has been uh, pretty defiant, pretty much like fuck you, I'll, you know, fuck the media. I'm gonna beat this guy up and get away with it. It's, you know, whatever I do is my business. Fuck you. Call my wife and uh, a slut and my my daughter a pig. Uh, and yeah, and if you don't like it, fuck you. I beat it, beat the hell out of a paparazzi. And you don't like it, fuck you. And then here he is uh, saying he didn't pull the trigger. The gun just went off miraculously in his hand. Whether uh, you believe that, I don't think Alec Baldwin should be uh, tried or charged with a crime. I think it's the, the prop master, uh, whoever loaded that gun with a real live uh, live shell or whatever it is, bullet, they should face some criminal charges, some negligence at least. But, uh, you know, just to see Alec Baldwin breaking down like a bitch and crying, uh, that to me is humorous because... We've seen his act when he gets in trouble before, and crying isn't his go-to. <laughs> his go-to way out and way to make uh, excuses for that kind of stuff. But there he was, 
Um, now I have a friend who uh, I've known pretty much all my life. I went to school with him. He has a radio show here on Long Island and in the Hamptons where Baldwin lives. And Baldwin is the guest host on that, his radio show. Often. He turns the show over to Baldwin. He hangs out with him. He's very good friends with him. And I have not talked to him to ask him of his perspective on this, but I'm sure he's talked to Alec Baldwin about this. So I, I would love to talk to him and see, get his perspective uh, confidential. <laughs> but you know what? Knowing what a blabbermouth I am, I think he might be a little reluctant <laughs> to actually talk to me about it, thinking I might uh, share something inappropriate here uh, with my eight. 10, 15 listeners. <laughs> By the way, the audio numbers on the podcast, wow, last couple of weeks, I don't know what happened. Or what uh, I'm talking about the Mind Dog TV podcast, not the Coffee with the Dog podcast, which I just lost the other, uh, launched the other day, which basically has no listeners at this point. <laughs> I mean, the only people really uh, catching this program or catching the live stream uh, at this point, anyway, no no real streaming activity going on with the Coffee on the Do- Coffee with the Dog podcast. But since I launched this, the main podcast, the Mind Dog TV podcast, both um, um, all the episodes, one o'clock editions and eight o'clock editions, the numbers on the audio streams for the last two weeks have been off the charts uh, that I haven't seen ever since I started those podca- the, that podcast. So I don't know what happened, but I'm grateful for it. Uh, I don't know why exactly uh, numbers are going uh, through the roof, but I am definitely happy for it. So thank you, whoever is out there tuning in. Uh, I should put on definitely keep mentioning this uh, while I'm doing it. Now that we got where the audience is growing exponentially, and uh, try to get some more people tuning into this program because this is where I'm putting a lot of my energy right now. Uh, uh, Adam Buckton. Oh, they're talking about uh, McCartney now. Uh, somebody's replying to last night. I it just occurred to me. I have four friends um, who have very close relationships with Paul McCartney. I have uh, people who uh, Paul McCartney is uh, actually. Called him up at home. Knows him by first name. I mean, very good buddies. I have uh, one one person who, uh, you know, basically who's known Paul for 40 years. Good friends with him on a first name basis. I have actually three guys who, who fit that description. And another guy who used to work for me, whose father used to be, who used to be the... Um, I don't know, business manager for for McCartney's uh, publishing uh, company, and so he knows them very well too. All four of these guys know that getting Paul McCartney on my podcast would be the it would put a cherry on my on on the cake of my life, and I would <laughs> be able to die in peace. It would make my life like so. I'd be high on that. For a year, I'd be high. I mean, high on it. I'm like walking around giddy, stupid high uh, to get Paul McCartney on it. But none of them, and they know this, none of them have even suggested that they could reach out for me and 
uh, make a request on my behalf. I would do it for them. I would do it for you. I would do it for any one of you people out there. If I knew that you had a podcast and there was somebody out there who you really, really would love to have on your podcast, and I had very close uh, relationship with them that I could probably probably pull some strings for you. I would do that in a heartbeat without being asked. So, you know, it just occurred to me. So I put out this passive-aggressive tweet yesterday, hoping one of them would read it, and people are responding it, to it. And somebody just said to me, if he did it for Adam Buxton, I'm sure he'd do it for you. Uh, I don't know who Adam Buxton is. Uh, Adam Buxton probably is a podcaster, I'm assuming, from the... Uh, um, but I agree. I think Paul McCartney is ready. He's looking. Listen, uh, I think the uh, reality of his age, <laughs> and and that he's not going to be with us twenty more years. Well, he could be, but it's very unlikely. Even ten more years is highly unlikely. He's going to be eighty uh, next year, or right? He's seventy nine. So, um, you know, how many people live to 90, really? I mean, it's certainly possible with him, and, he, you know, he's got the best health coverage money can buy and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, quality of life, he's only going to be Paul McCartney a few more years. <laughs> I mean, this is not going to help me getting him on the program. That's for sure, saying he's only going to be Paul McCartney for a few more But that's the reality, folks. You're almost 80. You only have a few. Um, British comedian Adam Buxton talks with interesting people and rambling conversations that's sometimes funny, sometimes more serious with funny bits. That sounds like me. <laughs> Thank you, Ken Harris, for providing that. Uh, British, no wonder I don't know who he is. Um, Paul McCartney's British, I know who he is. So, But McCartney is talking a lot, and especially with the film coming out and especially with the memories of... Um, Beetle lore and all that stuff. He's talking and he's in the mood to talk. Perfect time for me to get him. None of my friends who know him well are even, they, they don't even consider me. Son of a bitch. One of them was the guy I, I had almost got on the phone yesterday with phone problems. I should test the phone, see if the phone's working. Is the phone working? I'm going to test somebody with the phone. Let's see. I don't know if this is going to work. Just making sure it's going to, because uh, Dave, uh, Dan Schindel, I got to bet, David Schindel? I better fucking get his name right before he calls in. Uh, <laughs> let's just test some audio here. Uh, let's just make sure something works. Is this working? Uh, boop, boop, boop. I'm just going to play this for a second. Just to see. Oh, yeah. noisy but it works all right i should go check out i should go find out his name make sure i get it right dave shindel or dan shindel should say right on the on the thing shouldn't it directed by no doesn't say anything about it directed by you know i i just go to my my email and i'll find him if i put in david We'll find out. I, I'm hoping is I got this name right. It's just too foggy. I'm too. It's too early in the morning for me. I can. Oh yeah, David Schindel. That's his name. 
Uh, so he'll be calling in around 10 o'clock. We'll talk about that. What else is going on in the world? What else is going on in the world besides the Adam Buxton podcast, giving that guy a, a plug? He got Paul McCartney. I didn't get Paul McCartney. Why am I giving him a plug? I should give, I should give Ken Harris a plug for getting me that information. Ken Harris is uh, an FBI agent who's a plant who's uh, here to infil- infiltrate the mind dog world uh, to actually give me up to the feds. He's uh, written his book called The Pine Barren Stratagem, which will be out in January. The audio uh, version is out now. Uh, and if you like old television, uh, <laughs> uh, you like, you're a fan of the Rockford Files, this book is perfect for you. If you're a fan of those that genre of detective stories, this book is perfect for you. It's well written, uh, even though it's written by a, a guy who's trying to um, bring down my uh, criminal empire and put me behind bars for many years. Uh, part of a um, government plot to get me. Uh, he says, other than that, he's a good, good guy. Um, <laughs> so uh, do check out his book. Uh, he's a contractor for <laughs> the Joe Rogan experience, trying to bring down the dog from the inside. See, I knew it. Oh, glad he got. He, he at least he confesses a little bit. So uh, good for him. Anyway, check out the book. It's called the Pine, Pine Baron Stratagem. Uh, you can get the audio version now. You, I believe, Ken, can can you can they pre-order the uh, release set for January? Let me know about that. If they can pre-order it, I should put a link up for them that they can use to pre-order uh, the book. Got another author on today. Another Yesterday I had a speculative fiction guy, uh, and he's written a series now, two books of the series. He's got a third one that's almost complete. And it's basically about, it's a futuristic novel about the United States has lost World War Three, uh, not to Russia or China, but to Islamic terrorism or an, an Islamic state, uh, and so America—it's—it's—it's it's the dawn of the twenty-second century, twenty-second century, and America has lost World War Three, and uh, baseball is playing its final season. Uh, baseball, baseball is going to save America. Um, bring back democracy somehow uh, in this novel. But it's just an, a, a really original take on, or creative take, <laughs> including baseball as the saving grace for the United States and for democracy and saving democracy for the world. Uh, it's not a political novel, although it contains many political elements. It's a novel really about... Um, the potential that America is uh, not necessarily prepared for for the future and, and to be a listen. Democracy is is a overused word. We're not really a democracy. We're a, a representative republic. Um, not true democracy, but to whatever extent we have democracy, we could lose that pretty quickly, and that's what the. That's the message of the novel. That's what it's all about. It's very real. Now, uh, it occurred to me yesterday thinking about the real politics and what we're really going through in, in the world and in America today. And with this January 6th stuff and, you know, the, the orange devil. 
Oh, man. I, maybe I should get up earlier and get, let the brain and the mouth and everything get, like, woken up before I start to uh, just go and broadcast to the world before you say some stupid shit and whatever. Um, so all roads in January 6th, January 6th investigation, which they're just slapping people on the wrist and letting them go. Yeah. Involved in an insurrection. Uh, bad boy, go home. Get home detention. Uh, no dinner for you tonight. No television. That kind of punishment. That's all these guys are getting. But the goal here, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise, the goal is to get to Donald Trump. Uh, he's he's the puppet master that behind January 6th. But here's the thing. And, and you're gonna know this is true when I say it. Now, I don't think I don't think anybody else has kind of voiced this. Uh, and I'm not giving, patting myself on the back for being an original thinker here, but it just occurred to me yesterday that if they are successful in indicting and convicting Donald Trump in connection with um, January 6th. Well, whatever, whatever they happen to get on Trump, whether it's tax evasion for some of his companies, whether it's, uh, it's still campaign finance fraud, because there's so many things they they are looking into him for and trying to get him on. If they should happen to indict and convict him for anything, anything across the board, even fucking jaywalking, <laughs> if they indict him, and convict him, and somehow he has to go to prison, any of that stuff. I know it seems far-fetched for, for a lot of people that the former president might have to do, might get convicted and actually go to jail. I don't think it's all that far-fetched. But let's assume it happens, just for the sake of argument. That em- emboldens that crazy base uh, even more. And so that just assures uh, that the Republican Party will win again, in the in the next presidential election. It basically assures it. Probably uh, going to win, the Republicans are going to win in the, in the midterm. Now, um, what would happen? Trump was convicted and in jail, and Ron DeSantis is in the presidency. You don't, is it not completely obvious that a presidential pardon would happen immediately? Like, he would get, in, the inauguration would be over. He wouldn't even get back to the White House. Somebody would be coming up with papers for him to sign uh, freeing Donald Trump. So this whole effort to get Trump really is a moot exercise. They get him, it's going to ensure that they lose the next election, which they probably will anyway, uh, just because uh, the Democratic base seems to be satisfied that they got rid of Trump. But they didn't get rid of him. But that's the attitude they they have right now. So this whole idea of the the DOJ going after Trump to get Trump will definitely backfire on them in terms of politics. Uh, They'll probably lose midterms, probably lose the next presidential election. And then whoever wins, boom, pardons Trump and everything was for moot. I don't know that there's a, a solution for them because I do think Trump was behind the insurrection and probably should, obviously, should be investigated uh, to the hilt and indicted. And if you know, 
it's meant to be convicted. But it can't win. It's a no-win situation. They can't win. I wonder if, they, if they, anybody has thought that through, anybody who who's, has any power or is doing anything about this or involved in it in any way has thought that through, that the minute, the very second uh, Ron DeSantis, who would be the, the GOP's de facto replacement uh, for Trump, would pardon him in a, in a heartbeat. So what are they doing? And, and what's the point of this thing? Not a very good outlook. And I'm I'm seriously, you know, I people talk about I'm leaving the country, leaving the country. I am definitely uh wanting to move to Belize. And I I I pick Belize out because it's not that far from the world I know. It's still the northern hemisphere. <laughs> it's still uh, you know, up uh, close enough to Mexico and the United States, should I uh, get homesick? Should it ever normalize here? But I don't see things normalizing here. I see, uh, you know, I hate to be so pessimistic in the world. Uh, uh, yeah, Ken, Ken Harris says, I'm midpoint in getting my Italian citizenship so, Italian citizenship, so at least I have an option. That's a great thing. Uh, funny, you don't look Italian. <laughs> anyway, uh, Italy, um, the, okay, but it, it, it is Italy cold? Like, a, <laughs> I, I think most of Italy gets gets weather. Like the reason I'm looking at Belize, again, close to home, still in the uh, Western Hemisphere, still in the Northern Hemisphere. It's uh, close enough to home that um, if things normalize, I can come back here. Belize City is terrifying, really? Uh, why? I don't know about this. Please educate me. Maybe i got to change my plans. What's going on there? Is it like Costa Rica where um, there's gangs that there's no law and gangs really just... Because I've heard nothing but good things about Americans who retired to Belize. So, if Kent, uh, Craig, if you got some uh, info, please share it with me. You can call. If you want, I can put the number up there. Um, or I can, uh, you know, I know I've been slacking. I'm putting the uh, back-end stuff in the Patreon page. But um, if you could let me know about that. Uh, what is Ken saying here? Uh, 1948 rule concerns the pl- path that guarantee Italian citizenship by blood. Uh, Joyce Aguanis, I can't even say that name, to those who have uh, female ancestors. Oh, so... Um, I do. I do. I have uh, lots of ancestry, female and male, going back to uh, Italy. Um, I don't think I want to move to Italy, though. Again, I think it's cold. And I was going through my reasons for Belize, but now Craig's kind of talking me out of it. Wasn't it? You'll see more armed people in that city than a Michigan Patriot. well, what if I don't go to the city, man? I, I'm I'm serious. I've heard nothing but good things about people uh, retiring to Belize. Now you got me considering. Well, well, maybe that's a mistake. What's good, Dominican Republic? Uh, I don't want cold. It's my that's a big part of why I was looking in the tropics, like you know Belize, and I want some place that's going to be warm <laughs> for an old guy like me who just hates the winter. 
and here we are uh, facing a very prospect of a very cold, a colder than uh, the last ten winters or so that we, that I've gotten used to. Um, I just want to add a add a the weather cycle, and I definitely want out of the chaos that I see coming in the United States. I'm not. I'm an extreme pessimist for where we're going in the United States, especially uh, short term. Can we rebound eventually in the long term? Sure, Germany did. <laughs> and here's the other thing. Will I be allowed to leave? And will Ken be allowed to leave if he had to? If you know, if he got to the point where uh, he felt like me, like, wow, America's really heading down a... Uh, a stinky pipe in the in in the fixtures of uh, our uh, political plumbing system, <laughs> the shit pipe. America is going down that way, and I want to leave. But if they take over again, the fascists take over America. Will we be allowed to leave if we so desire? That's the that's the thing I'm really concerned about, and I, you know, it's a real genuine concern of mine. Um, whether it's Trump, DeSantis, whoever, uh, I can't believe that I, I'm actually uh, serious in my own opinion with myself that the uh, a uh, Republican Party victory um, will lead to fascism. I can't believe that that's the state of America right now, but I do, I can't deny that. It feels real. It feels like, you know, fascism is on the way. So, and I want an out. I want an out. Uh, <laughs> Bob Fungul. <laughs> I don't think that's how you spell Fungul. <laughs> I'm related to Bob Fungul. And first of all, uh, come on. It would be Roberto Fungul, wouldn't it? No Italian guy calls himself Bob <laughs> it's Roberto. <laughs> uh, oh, because you're in. Uh, you know why you can't see the chat, Christina? Uh, because you're on Facebook, and most of the people chatting right now are in YouTube. There's one guy in Twitch. Uh, some somebody in Picardo, which I'm not even sure what that is. But you're on one of the Facebook pages. Maybe my dog page, maybe my personal page, but that's why you can't see the chat. I will. That's why I try to put them up on the screen whenever I can. Um, I know Twitter doesn't even have a chat. Uh, you can leave comments on Twitter, but they never appear in the chat. So if somebody's saying something on Twitter, we have no idea what it is. So if you're watching on Twitter right now, so you they used to be use Periscope. And when they were using Periscope, we would see those comments. Uh, but if you're on Twitter now, you're not gonna, we're not gonna see your comments. So if you're commenting on Twitter, uh, we're, we're not gonna see it. So please join us on YouTube or something. Maybe I should even pull down the, but I don't want to pull down the Twitter feed. That's how some people actually find out that we're actually broadcasting. Anyway, that's my take on. Uh, the, and I'd just love to get your opinions on that. I haven't heard from Chad Henson in a while because uh, he's usually uh, one to kind of give me at least some counterbalance to some of my dumbass opinions here. Uh, and, you know, not shy about calling me out on stuff he disagrees with. And I appreciate that. 
I definitely appreciate that. I like that. I like having my ideas and opinions challenged by somebody because it makes me think if, if I really how how committed I am to it and how valid they really are. You know, think it through. So the idea that um, any prosecution of Donald Trump is moot. Uh, hey, hey, Chad, thank you for being here. I didn't know you were here, but thank you. And, and you know, if you do have any um, opinions of, uh, or counter opinions to what I'm saying, please let me know. I, 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 I value that tremendously. My opinion that uh, any prosecution or attempted prosecution of Donald Trump is extremely moot because, first of all, it will empower his party to uh, and almost ensure re-elect, uh, a, a reinstallment of the Republican Party into the White House, which, if Trump was prosecuted for any reason, would absolutely, I can't see how it wouldn't end in, a, in an immediate pardon. Am I wrong? And if I'm not wrong, how come the DOJ and you know the Democrat Party doesn't see that? Don't doesn't see that they're spinning their wheels, wasting their time on that. And what could they do, really, in response to that reality? I don't know. I don't think they could do anything. So, and I'm not rooting for the Democratic Party per se. Can't you know? I I want to make that abundantly clear as often as I can. I'm not a Democrat, I'm not. Uh, but I do think the Republican Party has gone off the fucking rails with um, their their loss of sense of what you know what it's all about. It's really it to them. It's really about owning owning the liberals. You know, and the guys who were marching um, at at the Lincoln Memorial the other day. They want to reclaim America, and that to me is, reclaim it from what? Somebody said, you know, uh, on Twitter yesterday, Biden is really blowing it. What a total embarrassment. And uh, this was uh, Christopher Titus called him out and said, in what way? Spell it out. I mean, how is life so bad right now in America that, uh, like, do you feel like we've lost everything because Joe Biden is president? No, I'm not a Joe Biden fan. I've never been. Um, going back to the 80s when I first learned, early 80s, when I first learned of him. Never been a fan of his and not definitely not going to be a defender of his. But life in America today, other than the fact that we're just arguing over politics all the time, it's not really that bad. I mean, I'm thrilled uh, you know, in Biden corner, I, I'm thrilled that the uh, Afghanistan war is over and that we're not spending $347 million a day to fight a war that forever that got us nothing. We haven't seen, um, like, a ter- terrible fallout from leaving Afghanistan. I mean, after the first week and all of the escape shit was over, uh, it, it kind of uh, subsided all that shit. So, uh, oh, let's see what what's going on in the chat room here. I'm missing a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, she says it's 1545, which I guess 
1545 is what, what three, four, 345 almost four o'clock in the afternoon over there been baking and popping pills uh anything good <laughs> i mean on the on the pill side or, or the baking side either side the pill popping uh chad uh property brothers level chance designer uh i love how they own the lib by hurting themselves not not always hurting themselves i mean it's it's such a Strange time, man. It's such a strange time. But the fascist guys, the here's the thing. They're marching saying we want to reclaim America. Now the question if you're gonna say reclaim America, from from who? Who who are you reclaiming from? If you're reclaiming it from the Democratic Party, you don't have to you don't have to carry guns and you don't need your shields and your your white masks that are very reminiscent of KKK hoods. There's an election coming up. Of course, if you're a KKK guy, elections aren't necessarily your your strong point um, until 2016, anyway. So you know, but the people who are lining up with them now—it's only realize these are the same people who reclaim America are the same people who marched in Charlottesville. Charlottesville saying, uh, we will not let the Jews replace us. That was the signs they were carrying then. Now, the, the signs they were uh, carrying at the Lincoln Memorial were victory or death, which certainly seems not like uh, they're supporting peaceful protest. Victory or death, so it sounds like a war cry. And they're going to reclaim America. From who? From the Jews. But Here's the, 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 you know, the time we live in. Majority of American Jews support the Republican Party. And, are, and uh, again, I'm not, it's, it's, it's so fucking complicated. Because Trump invited all the fringe far right into, back into the Republican Party. Made them politically active when they had been sleeping for years, not coming to the polls. So the Republican Party is reliant on these fringe people. Not that they necessarily agree with them. And a lot of them, you know, I know people on the left are going to hate me for even saying this. A lot of Republicans, it's not they're not driven by agreement with the far-right fringe. The, the nuts, nut job, you know, Proud Boys and Oath Keepers and clan, the Klansmen and all these. They're not in agreement with them. They're afraid of them. They, they, they rely on them or need them. They know they need them to win another presidential election. So they're afraid of losing them. And uh, in that, it's being afraid of losing them, they kowtow to them and uh, basically placate them. And end up supporting people, uh, to Christina's point, that hurt themselves. They hurt their own people. And if you're Jewish and you're supporting people who are going to reclaim America, the people who are carrying the sign saying, the Jews will not replace us, you got to think about your own self-interest here because they may be hiding the anti-Semitism under... Everything else, the anti-immigration stuff, all the stuff that they they are platforming, but that anti-Semitism is there underneath, waiting to bubble up, waiting for power. 
And once they have power, then the, the anti-Jewish rhetoric, rhetoric will come out. And you'll see 1939 uh, Germany happening here in America. It's bound to happen because these the people that they are relying on for the, to power their platform, the people they're afraid of letting go, are Nazis. That's just a fact. Now, I mean, Republicans hate, and I, I would hate it too, that... Somebody like me is associating their party with Nazism, but in the same sentence, that the, in the same breath that I say they hate the fact that I'm here saying you know, certain elements who are aligned with them are Nazis. In the same breath, they're not willing to let those Nazis go and just let them go, get them out of your party. And the Republican Party would be so well served to start over and say, uh, you know what, maybe we'll. we'll we won't win the next presidential election, but we'll focus on two elections away without having this white supremacist, uh, Christian supremacist, uh, anti-Jew, anti-Semite anti uh, wing of uh, the party to, to rely on, depend on, and to intimidate them into twisting their agenda. I know a lot of people on the left hate me even saying that there are Republicans who are not in agree with, agreement with those far-right groups, but there are. I know plenty of them. I know lots of Trump supporters who never would even consider uh, being part of a Klan rally or going to the Lincoln Memorial and putting on a white mask and uh, with shields and signs of uh, Reclaim America and... Um, victory or death, hoping, rooting for the next civil war. We're a few minutes away now. Uh, David Schindel will, should be calling in, or uh, he might even video in. He's got the option. I left it up to him for today to um, uh, actually come in and talk about his theatrical release of The Comedy Club, which is a documentary uh, including many, many fa famous comedians. Uh, I'll go down the list here. Jim Carrey, Dana Carvey, Paula Poundstone, Bob Saget, Ellen DeGeneres, Bobcat Goldthwait, Bill Maher. Fucking hate Bill Maher. Don't you hate Bill Maher? Uh, Kevin Pollack. <laughs> And and a whole lot more. Now, uh, on the Bill Maher stuff, I, I think I've shared this story before. I'm One of the small pleasures of my life was to make Bill Maher's life a living hell for five and a half, six hours. Uh, Red-eye flight from L.A. to New York. I happened to be uh, sitting next to him in first class every seat in first class was taken and i was sitting uh next to him this 1996 and 97 and all he wanted to do was sleep and definitely not be bothered by some asshole next to him but uh, i didn't like him then i don't like him now so it was my privilege and honor to distract him with conversation and uh not let him sleep and give him an earful of why I thought he was an asshole. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but now, since then, I had been made aware of, and I don't, you know, Stanhope pointed this out, that I've been made aware of that Bill Maher is guilty of joke, thief, joke theft of, or borrowing heavily 
Stan, some Stanhope's material. But I don't think he did it consciously or, or did it himself. I'm sure he has a staff of writers who didn't tell him that they went to Stanhope and watched Stanhope special and kind of made the home, copied the homework in their own handwriting and handed it in as uh, stuff for Mars monologue. Years later, now they, uh, they were looking at old Stanhope specials and kind of transcribing them and, and turning them into Bill Maher monologues. But that absolutely happened. If you look at the, the content, you know, that whole parallel thinking stuff that happens in comedy, this wasn't that. Um, this wasn't got people having similar ideas. This was basically uh, a rewording of uh, Stanhope's ideas. So um, I'm not a fan of Mars on that count. Not that I'm, again, I don't think he consciously knew that that was going on. He might have, but I think it's far more likely that um, his staff was just like, you know, copying somebody else's homework and rewording it slightly, hoping not to get caught, taking the lazy way out of being a writer for the Bill Maher. Maybe some, you know, sometimes you just get stumped and just out of fresh ideas, and you want to go to other places for influence, and that influence gets carried away, and you just get too close to the actual source. Can't say that hasn't happened to me in writing music, where I feel like, you know what, um... I'm at an inspirational low. I'm going to go listen to some stuff and see if I can get some inf- inspiration from it. And then when I look at the final pieces, wow, that's awfully close. And I have one piece in mind that I, Black Eyed Peas, uh, sounding like a uh, song that, that I produced years ago. But the final product, I knew. It's like, oh, this sounds a little too close. We have to, we have to go back to the work- workshop and uh, make this not a, uh, not that similar. Because sometimes the work ends up being too similar. So I understand sometimes you can go looking for inspiration, and that inspiration can lead to uh, your final work being far more derivative than you ever intended it to be. But you have to take steps before you publish it at that point to say, wait a minute, this is theft. I need to change it. I need to make it my own. I need to you know, reverse course a little bit here on how far I let my inspiration run with me. Uh, Christina, I'm still, you know, on the shirt stuff. <laughs> I'm going to check on the shirt right now. No, uh, you know what? I'm going to play my sponsorship because I know if I don't, if I forget to play the sponsorship part, uh, little piece here, um, what's going to happen is they're, they're going to tune in today and say, you know what? We were watching your program again and it looks like you, you missed out on the, um, sponsorship again, and then eventually I will end up losing them. So I need to play the sponsor stuff. We're brought to you by TrueFire. Uh, TrueFire is a online learning platform for uh, what, what, what's it for? It's for um, guitar players. It's for uh, they do have lessons for other stringed instruments, ukulele, banjo, that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure they do have some piano chords. Bass is another uh, area that they focus on, um, but it's mostly uh, guitar stuff. And if you want to learn guitar the right way from expert teachers, True Fire is the way to go. True Fire. I just. They're a little slow. I'll be back in a minute.
This episode is brought to you by Truefire. Do you want to learn guitar or improve your playing? Are you stuck in a rut and unable to take your playing to the next level? Truefire has your solution. guitar players worldwide learn, practice, and play with TrueFire. Our learning tools and massive library of video lessons will ignite your technical skills, harmonic knowledge, rhythm playing, and soloing chops. TrueFire's educators are the best in the biz, from Grammy Award winners to world-renowned artists. You'll have access to an unparalleled faculty of over 300 top-notch blues, rock, jazz, country, fingerstyle, and acoustic guitar educators. Using our desktop and mobile apps, you'll work with Truefire's multi-angle video lessons on any device, anytime, anywhere. Integrated learning tools such as video synced tab and notation, slow-mo, looping, practice jam tracks, and many more handy controls accelerate your learning experience. Truefire style-specific learning paths guide you every step of the way. Use our assessment tools to find your starting point, then follow our lesson recommendations, and track your progress as you work through your personalized Truefire study plan. Progress faster with private one-on-one instruction, group lessons, multi-track video jams, live streams, song lessons, student forums, Truefire's Riff magazine, premium jam tracks, and much, much more. With thousands of five-star ratings and reviews from amateur and pro players alike, you'll find yourself in good company with the world's most comprehensive guitar learning platform. Grab your guitar and ignite your musicality. Sign up free for an all-access trial today. Click the link in the description to find out more. Best part of the show right here. Every day. I don't know where she is, but uh, I assume that's going to be uh, Ken Harris's new life. It looks like she's like the, in the Italian Alps. But what the fuck do I know? I've never been to the Italian Alps. <laughs> uh, I was just looking at uh, Spreadshop to see what happened to your shirt. Um, apparently, it's in New Jersey now. Uh, made its way, I guess, from New Jersey over to... Europe somehow uh, and told you're not welcome here shirt go back to New Jersey uh, I got to call them after after the show today I got to call them and find out how we get it released get it sent back over <laughs> back over to where Christina is um, it's just ridiculous how how difficult it is to send uh, merchandise um out of out of the United States, it's just it's really uh, yeah. The, the shirt is make is having its a world tour of its own. You know, one of those guys who I was mentioning, who uh, friends with uh, Paul McCartney, who who just hasn't been courteous enough to or thoughtful enough to say, "Hey, dog, I could get you Paul McCartney." He's also yeah, he's friends with every fucking rock star who ever. And I noticed yesterday he uh, Rolling Stone 
publishes a lot of his work, and they published his uh, photo of Mick Jagger from the other night on his birthday and tagged him in it. And uh, God, he could, <laughs> God, I think fifteen thousand comments on Twitter. Now that means fifteen no fifteen thousand notifications. I would fucking kill myself. And David Chandel's not uh, here. Should have been here a few minutes ago. So I'm wondering if um, maybe I should check my email and see if he he's he having trouble connecting or something like this. Um, but I would go fucking nuts if <laughs> you know I got fifteen thousand notifications from Twitter. It's hard enough with the few that I get to keep up with it. And sometimes it's like, oh, what now? Come on, another notification. What's going on? And then I don't. I got. You know, a few hundred followers of that. Uh, I don't look at the numbers, but I I can't imagine it's more than a few hundred, a couple hundred followers on Twitter. I mean, I, at one point I had eighty thousand followers with one of the accounts on Twitter, but uh, that that was a long time ago with the, an account that I got banned from. <laughs> you know, and um, while I'm waiting, I'm still I'm looking for David Shindell to see if he's tried to uh, contact me in any way to say. Uh, I'm having trouble connecting. No. You know what? Maybe he doesn't have the time zones correct. I know he's in San Francisco. I believe he's in San Francisco anyway. I could be wrong about that because I know they did have a screening for it in New York uh, at one point. Um, no, I'm not seeing any attempt of him trying to contact me. Uh, but he did ask specifically for the 10 o'clock time slot and I said sure anytime really during the morning show is good oh by the way tomorrow at 10 o'clock exactly at this time or a few minutes earlier than this uh the fabulous and lovely and talented Brett Erickson will be uh joining me for a conversation about his new um podcast that he's involved in uh where he's I don't know guest hosting he seems to be in the role of sidekick in that but uh it's a show where the sidekick seems to be, in this case, Brett Harrison, seems to be uh, more of the star of the show than the actual host. Uh, it's a comedian I'm not familiar with, and I guess I by sometime tonight I need to familiarize myself with him so I can talk to Brett like I really uh, I know what the fuck it's all about. But it's not somebody I know. It's a comedian I've never seen before or heard of before. And he, I don't want to bad not the guy um he doesn't seem very well prepared to be a talk show host on a, on a podcast seems like somebody said you know you should do a podcast be you'll be a talk show host and interview people and he said okay uh and, and he thinks that means just drinking beer <laughs> maybe he's watching my show and thinks well if that guy can do it just drinking coffee and just, but he doesn't talk Brett's doing the talking, and Brett's very funny, and Brett keeps the show rolling. So this is why I'm saying uh, it's, it's one of those shows where it seems like the sidekick is really the star of the show, and the host, I don't know what his role is at this point. I mean, I've only seen two episodes, and I guess I should know his name seeing two episodes, but that's the point. I mean, I'm watching the show, and I'm, I don't care about that guy. I'm, li I'm listening to Brett. Brett will be with me tomorrow. We'll talk about that. And... Uh, Maybe he should have his own show. I know he does have issues with Andy. And uh, uh, and so, uh, who's king of mames? 
is Brett king of names? I don't know. Is he? Is Brett? Are you speaking about uh, Brett that way? I I don't know. Is he? I uh, Mings? Is this really? I, uh, I generally one line of tweets that I laugh at a, a, very often. I mean, he makes some ob- observations about them, but I haven't noticed the king of Mames stuff. I have to look. Uh, oh, he oh he's self named. He came up with that. Okay, then what? That's what I'll call him. I'll address him as Your Highness, Your Highness, Your Heine. Ah, what else is there to talk about? I was hoping for David David Chindel. We were going to talk about the comedy club. I've already uh, kind of promoted enough. Uh, you think I promote, promoted enough? The, it's available streaming. You can rent it for three ninety nine on Vimeo, or buy it for five ninety nine uh, and stream anytime on Vimeo. Uh, but they are having a, a theatrical re- release tonight, which is I found out about it. I guess Sunday night, and that's when I uh, contacted David, and I said, you know what, if you want to promote this stuff, I'll I'll do my best to get the word out there, do it on the podcast, and then I will put it on every, I'll cut the segment up and put it on every social media platform I can to get the word out to you, because it's for a very good cause. It's to help out comedian Will Durst, comedian author, you know, columnist Will Durst, who has not been working for the last two years because he suffered a stroke, and that stroke has been debilitating enough that he's been in uh, assisted living for the last two years. And in, as most comedians will, ran out of money because they don't have any health care. Because um, we can spend trillions of dollars blowing places up, but we can't t- spend a dime to make sure people um, don't end up homeless, sick, and dead on the street. <laughs> Uh, because God forbid um, our tax dollars might go to, to actually helping people. God forbid we should actually uh, see our money. Um, uh, and I know, you know, the libertarian, the um, capitalist, Argument is that you know Will Will Durst and and people like him should prepare better for their own lives, uh, but it's easier said than done. And um, the fact of the matter is, so many people in the creative arts, when you're pursuing a dream, and we 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 encourage, uh, yeah, that socialism. You know, uh, thank you for that very funny comment, Christina. Uh, people in America who say that don't realize that. We've been for a great segment of our country is built on socialism for the last hundred years, and I appreciate. You know, I I was one of those guys who uh, had a the wrong perception of what socialism was, but FDR was a socialist in many ways, and um, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going on tangents here because I'm waiting for David Schindel, and I'm not even sure he's going to show up. Um, the socialism stuff and FDR. FDR instituted a thing called Social Security. No balloon. Is it raining? Oh, Bree Storm is moving there. We had a storm last night, Craig. Uh, um, Craig 
John, people hear me like just talking. Stop talking about one thing and then I'll go on to another thing uh, because I'm responding to the chat room. Uh, no balloons in ABQ this morning. Um, we had a storm come here uh, through here last night that uh, it felt like the Wizard of Oz. It really did. It felt like there were t- it was a tornado out there. Uh, time of year where we get some crazy weather happening. Uh, where was it? FTR and the social socialism. Uh, he instituted a thing called uh, Social Security. And uh, you know, I was growing up, brought up in a very conservative, a very uh, Republican uh, world. Uh, actually, started working for the Republican Party at eight years old as a real coffee boy. <laughs> True, with the Nixon campaign, nineteen sixty-eight. Um, brought up to believe that. All, all, every effort that FDR uh, did was uh, socialistic and tended in its nature and intent and a bad thing. And as far as Social Security goes, looked at it my whole life like it's an unfair thing. I'm putting in money uh, that I can only get back when I'm 65. I'm not going to make it to 65. So here I am, a young person paying for old people who felt it provide for their own selves and so i'm just giving my money they're just taking my money away i'm never going to see it again because i want to be dead at 54 sometime in my life as an adult i started to realize that maybe there's a chance i, uh, I will be in needing some of my money back and, and survive long enough that i need some of it now here's here's the odd thing about social security you know, and i'm Glad to be getting some of my money back now. I'm at the age where I'm actually getting it back. So obviously now my my views of Social Security have changed completely. But when it was first introduced, you couldn't get couldn't claim it till you were 65. And the life the average lifespan of the American male was 65, and the American female was 67 at the time. So the idea that you'd probably be dead anyway. Which made no sense to me. We all putting this money away as a saving account for our retirement, and the average one of us will be dead. Uh, maybe a female might get two years, <laughs> two years uh, after putting in a lifetime of service and being uh, having money taken from you every single week your entire life. Uh, if you're a woman, you would get two years, considering you'd probably be dead by sixty-seven. And a male, you'd probably you know just apply. And as they approved your payments, you would croak because <laughs> average male lifespan was 65. I think now it's uh, not much longer than that. I think the male average male lifespan is 74 and women is 76 now, which is better than it was. So you might get nine years out of it or, or 11 years out of it, depending on your gender. <clears throat> Fact is, it is a socialist uh, policy, a socialist um, system that we have set up. But it's a damn good one, and we're lucky to have it. And if we didn't have it right now, same people who complain about homeless people would see a flood of homeless people, old homeless people dying on the streets, like a very inhumane society. The other part of, you know, Medicare, all those kind of things that um, the socialists have brought into America that uh, the people on the other side complain about. 
eventually uh, we all take advantage of them and say, wow, that's a fucking great thing. Now, at 18 years old, I think, was the first time, 17, first time I drove across the country on interstates, not realizing that that was part of that social socialistic agenda. Uh, you know, the interstates were built uh, as part of a government program, federal government program, uh, to make all our lives better. It's, that's socialism, man. That's socialism 101 right there. Would you want a, a country where we don't have those interstates? When I drove across country the first time at 17 years old, it took me two and a half days. Without the interstates, two and a half weeks at best. Um, and so those are the roads that not only bring us, bring me from New York to California, which is not uh, meaningless in your life, but they also supply the routes for the trucks that bring our goods and services across country. And so the world we live on, wow, 78 and, and 82. Thank you for that, Christina. So, uh, Christina, that's uh, um, a lot more than I thought it was. And so that's we're, I don't know, is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? That's the question. That's, this is the conversation. We're living longer. But quality of life, uh, <clears throat> interstates were a military-industrial uh, concept. I don't, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt, I don't doubt that the interstates uh, had that as part of uh, the agenda, without doubt, moving heavy armor and troops more quickly to various locations. Absolutely, uh, but uh, that wasn't the entire. Um, the entire intent of it, I'm sure it was a good part of it. The, the fact is, it makes our life and our our society depends on it at, at this point. Um, so I don't think you could argue that um, whether the intent was as you say and probably was as you say, uh, Chad. It's, uh, there's no doubt, you can't make the argument that it doesn't uh, affect society. Our goods and services... Uh, travel across roads that are more far more reliable than the old you know route 66 and uh these very uh unmaintained um state highways and back roads imagine uh, you know you talk about supply chain shortages right now imagine what they would be if we didn't have those interstates so you know the point is not what the intent necessarily was I don't doubt that FDR was very much a part of that uh, military-industrial complex that Eisenhower uh, warned us about. Uh, What does it say? They sold it as helping people, same they do today, saying uh, things are for the children. Um, I I need some clarification on that. Uh, what's for the children? <laughs> oh, um, uh, I'm lost. Well, what, what what are they selling as for the children? Um, abortion? <laughs> Is that for the children? I don't know. Uh, you know what are they selling? That's for the children. Uh, healthcare, healthcare uh, for everybody. And that I don't know that they're necessarily selling that as every as, but the fact that ma- ma- no matter how you um, how you want to paint it, we America has been to a large degree 
elements of socialism in our uh, society and in our government for the last hundred years. So the people who cry socialism, again, I had this conversation with with, uh, the author I had on yesterday because we're talking about um, isms, socialism, communism, capitalism, all that stuff, and I don't think any of that shit matters. Those are all economic models, but without representative government would be bad. Capitalism with a dictator would be a bad thing. Uh, socialism with a dictator would be a bad thing. Communism with a dictator would be a bad thing. If you have a representative government and you're allowed to vote for your representation and your your taxes are being at least given the... Um, the flavor or, or the perception that your taxes were being spent in a way that you had some representation for, that your choice and your voice in the matter uh, mattered in, in the situation. At least if you have that perception <laughs> in a dem- dem- democratic uh, re- uh, representative republic, you have some, you have at least some feeling of control over it. But when you're, uh, so the isms aren't, you know, capitalism, socialism, communism, whatever. You, those aren't the big things. I think our biggest problem is the isms. Uh, no, uh, the idea of the interstate. I believe uh, question mark at Chad Hansen. Um, they weren't selling that for the people. They they sold that. Uh, well, I don't know exactly how it was sold, but I do believe Chad has it absolutely uh, correct that there was a large portion of uh, the interstate be- being intended for uh, moving heavy uh, military equipment from, let's say, uh, ca- California to, to bases in California to bases in New Mexico and Arizona and Texas, uh, freely and quickly, North Dakota, you know, the places that military has a huge presence in. Uh, the interstate was built in, with that in mind for sure. That was that absolutely part of it. I don't think Chad, it, you know, wrong in that. And I think he's absolutely correct in that. Um, where was it? Oh, the ism. The big ism. Consumerism. And it's not an American problem. It's a world problem. It's consumerism. Almost the... All of our society is built on commerce. Even if it's communism or socialism, it's built on commerce. It's built on people buying things. And uh, in order to make things profitable, things need to be mass-produced. And so we mass-produce things even if there really is not a whole lot of use for, for millions of widgets Whatever it is, so you know, iPhones, for example, or cell phones. Uh, everybody has to have one now, and economies get built on that kind of stuff. Consumerism. Uh, we need more junk. We need more stuff. And I know I, I'm um, heavily inspired by George Collin with the stuff stuff, but uh, I got to come back to Chad's. Uh, uh, comment here. For example, a military spending bill can provide billions of contractors, uh, Halliburton, but if they stick $45 million in for education, that's all you'll hear about in this school. Well, that's a valid point. That's an absolutely valid point. Um, 
That's why people need to read the bills for themselves. That's part of the problem, too. People are just, you know, they want, we're lazy. And, uh, you know, that's human nature. So take Obamacare, for example. Ugh, how many millions of people were diametrically opposed to Obamacare? Never read the bill. Of course, there was a fucking, <laughs> it was a, a very thick uh, book, you know, bigger than the Bible, <laughs> thicker than the Bible, more words in it than the Bible. Uh, so who the fuck wants to read that, right? So they put this bill out there, and I think part of the, you know, we talk about laws and stuff. We can't do simple bills, simple bills. And to Chad's point about, you know, they want to sell something, and they convolute these bills instead of just having a bill about infrastructure being of specifically about infrastructure let's put in something that you know that has nothing to do with infrastructure for senator a who refuses to get on board unless we put this fucking stupid provision in the bill that has nothing to do with the bill because he's trying to kiss ass to five or seven constituents and so uh yeah i do remember that uh very clearly the the uh Nancy Pelosi statement, we have to pass the bill to know what's in it. Man. That, that to me, uh, was basically saying to the American people, eh, don't bother reading it. We got it for you. We'll break it down for you. Uh, no, we'll just pass it, and then we'll tell you what's in it later. Um, but uh, even those of us who weren't lazy didn't have time enough to read that bill and understand it because a lot of it was legalese before even knowing whether we would support it or not. But my point was that there were millions of people just completely against it without having a clue what was in it. Now, it turned out to be a very, very, very flawed uh, bill, but it, uh, it was better than absolutely nothing. I, I have to admit that it was better than what we had before and could be, could have been improved. It didn't need to be completely gutted. It had a lot of room for improvement. Didn't need to be completely gutted. Now we have a situation where that's completely, well, for all intents and purposes, completely gutted, and we don't have anything to replace it. And if we did, if somebody proposes something to replace it, we'll see divisions on it again. Whether No matter what side you're on, whether you're all for it or all against it, nobody read it. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen with the next one. Nobody will fucking read it, but we'll take sides on it. Like, we know what's in it. Because Tucker Carlson or uh, what's the fucking guy on uh, Anderson Cooper? Anderson Cooper told us what's in it, and we believe him. Well, read it for your goddamn self. Fucking Anderson Cooper's going to tell you what to think. Tucker Carlson's going to tell you what to think. Rachel Maddow's going to tell you what to fucking think. And I know sometimes these people, these talking heads, they can put on an air uh, that leads people to believe that, oh, they're smarter than me. I'll just let them figure it out. Um, I don't know. Uh, so you can see where my pessimism is coming to. It doesn't look like David Schindel's going to make the call today. Unfortunately, I was looking forward to... Uh, helping promote this thing and try to raise some funds for Will Durst. Best of intentions, and what happens? Nothing. Nothing. 
Oh, I see. Um, just got this. We have a wild pit bull uh, on the loose in the neighborhood, and just got a alert to my my community alert system here. <laughs> uh, allergies. Pardon me. Um, Pitbull actually got out of a house, I guess, uh, ran through a door to chase after a deer and got lost in the neighborhood. He's supposedly people-friendly but uh, doesn't like other dogs, and uh, people should be aware of that. I don't know, a free pet. I don't want a a pit bull that uh, is going to be a dog fighter. Uh, Apparently, according to his owners, he gets along with people fine. He's very people-friendly but does not like other dogs. No, that's not a free pet, <laughs> uh, especially in this neighborhood because there are lots of dogs. People let their dogs, they don't necessarily walk them. Uh, and so a lot of people, it's rural. And I don't complain about it as long as the dog, you know, if the dog does shit on my yard, you come up and clean it up. Uh, not always the case. Uh, but most of the dogs are friendly. They don't attack people. But they're in the neighborhood. So this this pit bull that's out there that doesn't like dogs, he's got an active day ahead of him. He's got he's got a couple of fights lined up, a couple of heavyweight challenges uh, lined up today that he probably isn't aware of. Uh, of course, there are lots of deer for him to chase, and I expect to find a few dead wild turkeys around the neighborhood if he's out there. Um, but the just people should know that there's a wild pit bull. It never ends in my, in my neighborhood. They never caught uh, uh, never no word about these guys who were testing the uh the ordinance on Fox Island the other day. Uh, blowing shit up and the FBI thinks it might have been a rehearsal for a terrorist uh it might have been with a you know it could have been more is more like it not might have been could have been. They don't have any evidence other than the speedboat that was used to get away from it. Uh, they found oh, the bull, but it took two months. Uh, no, you're right. If they can't, Craig said, if they can't find a bull roaming free, how are they going to catch a dog? Um, they, they did get the bull back. It took more than two months. I think it was closer to three months when they got the bull back. But here's the thing with the bull. They <laughs> fucking people are so stupid. They released a cow. Into the wild, into a neighborhood, running free in houses to try to um, seduce the bull and catch him that way. But then they lost the fucking cow. So the bull's back now, but the cow is, <laughs> it's a fucking cow roaming the neighborhood or, or running free out there that they can't find. But to, to your point, they can't find the cow. How are they going to find a dog? Uh, well, the dog would probably be louder. You know, unless, unless you keep an eye out for the mooing, how are you going to find the cow? Uh, and maybe somebody's got the cow in their backyard and getting free milk every day. I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> but the dog is probably more likely to get into conflicts, uh, especially if it's a male dog. He's probably going around looking for a fight. He's probably got his uh, his uh, shoulders back and walking around cocky looking for dogs to fuck with. And so I think it's a better, probably a better chance of catching the dog. The dog's going to bark, and we'll hear the, the bark. It's, who knows? 
There's lots of feral cats in the area too, by the way. The lady, uh, there's a lady about 2,000 feet from my house who has big property. She's rich but nuts, senile, whatever, you know. I don't know a senile word they use anymore. She's uh, old enough that um, she probably couldn't pa- pass the cognitive test, people, television, whatever the fuck that test was that Trump took. She probably couldn't pass that, but she's a cat lady. It's behind me, the cow or the dog. <laughs> That's Hank Porter back behind me on the uh, wanted poster back there. Um, not a dog. Well, that is a dog uh, of certain kind. Either mine, dog, Hank Porter. Um where the fuck was I? I don't know. Brain fog. Oh, she's senile. I'm talking. I'm calling her senile. She's a cat lady, and uh, we, me and my wife, end up trapping the cat because she has no exaggeration. I'm I'm trying to keep this without exaggerating. At least thirty, probably close to fifty feral cats in a yard, and she feeds them all the time and encourages them, and they breed. And so it's my wife and uh, my mission to kind of do the right thing and trap the cats and bring them to a vet and then have them fixed at our own expense and put, and then re-release them because we don't have, you know, the, the ability just to have all these cats in the house. Um, but we release them back into the wild. At least they're fixed and they're not uh, reproducing and making a neighborhood full of feral cats. But this lady doesn't stop. I mean, she doesn't stop. So... Uh, it's a never-ending battle. The more we get fixed, the more she finds them and encourages them to uh, remain feral. Feeds them, and you know, uh, at some point, you can't stop feeding them. That would be inhumane because you've trained them now. They are only half feral. They're not wild cats. They come to her house to get fed. The reason I even went down this is, uh, oh, the senile woman is all uh, behind me. Oh no, she's in my head. Uh, fem- feline eugenics. Uh, yeah, whatever. The point, I, even when I went down this road, it's this dog, this pit bull, if he finds, and the, I don't see how he could not find uh, the neighborhood uh, cat lady's yard because they're all over the place. Once daytime happens and the cats are out playing, uh, they're all over the place. This dog, he, he, he doesn't like dogs, but I guarantee you he doesn't like cats. So he's going to have a fun day. And I, that's the first place I would look for him if I was the owner. Go over to Cat Lady's house. I mean, I'm sure the dog is running around there having a, a fucking more constant erection of having chasing pussy around all day. All right. Uh, maybe that was just like the cheapest, easy fucking shot joke ever. Layup. Uh, and not all that funny. But my guests, my scheduled guests didn't show up. What do you expect me to do? Tomorrow my guests will show up at uh, Brett Erickson, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to talking to Brett. I haven't talked to him since uh beginning of the summer, actually. He was heading up to Alaska uh, last time I spoke to him. So uh, good to uh, – uh, <laughs> uh. I said that dirty dog. I like Christine. <laughs> she, she's not somebody who's going to yell at me for saying, the dog, <laughs> saying that joke about pussy. Most women would. I don't know. A lot of women would, I should say. Just say, ah, oh, that's inappropriate. You know, I'm going for that low, low-hanging fruit. 
whatever. Pussy jokes are still funny to me. <laughs> uh, but I'm here rambling without without a guest that I thought was coming. And try to do a good thing for people and promote stuff. I do still do think uh, I, I would love to uh, people to uh, get involved in, if you can at all, um, to be involved in helping Will Durst. I know there's so many causes out there. But a comedian, com- comedians are close to my heart. I love comedians. Well, I think they are a f- super valuable part of the world we live in. Without them, life would be uh, just pretty shitty. I thought I had the, I got to put a banner in here to where the uh, site is. So if we could, if you are have the means in any way, please uh, help support uh, or, or help Will get back on his feet to the point where he can uh, maintain some kind of life in, in this assisted pr- uh, living thing, which he absolutely needs uh, to survive. Again, I know there are going to be people, uh, that's a long, I'll put that, uh, it's on Vimeo. Just go to Vimeo and look for the Comedy Club. The Comedy Club is the name of the film to help support it. Um, you know, should will people uh, be our dependents? Not necessarily, but you know, people who do give to society and don't get paid an awful lot of money. You know, people we tend to think, and this is the perception. That if you've seen somebody on television or if you, they've been on, you know, you see them around, you kind of think they're, uh... oh, yeah, there's something else on Vimeo. I, I'll, I'll answer that one for you, uh, Ken. <laughs> uh, there's a movie called The Last Shot, uh, which is on Vimeo, but you get get it by going to naturejack.com. Thank you for the reminder there, uh, Ken. I don't have a... Uh... I don't have a card for that. I got to get a card for that, naturejack.com. But you can go to patreon.com slash issues with Andy, and I'm sure you can find the links to naturejack.com there. Uh, anyway, thanks for that reminder. Where was I uh, uh, talking about? Oh, the comedians who, you know, you get to that point in your life, they've, um, they've given us so much. And uh, I know that sounds... I don't know how that sounds. It sounds probably overstated. But comedians and the comedy community, the people that we depend on to deal with this fucked up reality that we all are sharing called uh, time and space on planet Earth in the 21st century. They make it livable. Comedians do, musicians do, to some extent actors do, but fuck actors. They're all... <laughs> They they are well paid, but the perception that is, if we see people uh, on television that they're probably well off and can take care of themselves. But you know what? SAG money and and scale pretty fucking small. I mean, doing the uh, Jimmy Kimmel, you're gonna walk away with a check uh, less than four hundred dollars. Can you live on that? Uh, and they they are paying taxes and stuff, but there there is no health insurance for people in that situation. Now, uh, here's the rub: Does it should it fall on the taxpayer and people? No, uh, that's why it's a charitable thing. And I'm saying if you can, 
if you can afford to and are so inclined to help out a guy like Will Darris, please do. Um, because he's in a really bad situation. Stroke could happen to anybody at any time. A lot of us don't uh, understand that a medical emergency can happen to any one of us at any time. And if you don't have health insurance or health coverage in any way, uh, you're going to be fucked. So if we see somebody like that who has added value to our lives and you're so in a position to help out, please do. That's the only point I'm making on that. Um, I had a stroke. I had a stroke about uh, six years ago. Cops came to my uh, house and said they were looking for my son, and he was uh, known to be armed at a pistol with him and was missing for a couple of days, and they couldn't find him, thought he might be here. And, uh, you know, you tell a parent that. And well, a guy who, like me, was high-strung in the first place, and I just went ballistic and uh, let myself get wound up and emotional and crazy about it and ended up having a little mini-stroke. Thank God. I played a gig five days later, so it wasn't that bad, Uh, but was completely paralyzed for a day. Uh, Completely paralyzed, couldn't speak for a day. So the point is strokes can happen to anybody. It won't happen to me anymore. It won't ever happen to me again, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, But... It could happen to it could happen to any one of us really, and if you don't have coverage, you're, you're fucked. Um, now, here's the thing: like twenty-two years ago, I started a, a, mu- a musicians group here on Long Island, Long Island Musician Support Network, with the goal of getting a membership that was big enough that would allow us to leverage insurance companies to buy health insurance for musicians and and people in the arts who join the organization um, at a cheap and an affordable uh, price. And I couldn't get any real traction on it. The musicians who, again, people working for... Your cash payment a lot of times or very small payment for playing clubs and pubs and all this kind of stuff. This is how they make their living. And they're encouraged to pursue their dreams in a capitalist society, right? Pursue your own uh, vocation. So these people are out there making their living that way but can't afford health care. So I thought, you know what, let's unite and use the power of masses to negotiate prices that are affordable. None of them were on board with it. I think I got probably got you know I'm 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 trying to remember the numbers, but I, I'm sure it wasn't more than a couple of hundred members where we needed really ten thousand members to really uh, be able to influence insurance companies enough to give us a affordable rate for those people in the arts. So I guess the point I'm making very clumsily and very slowly here is that. A lot of people in the arts who find themselves in this kind of position don't really want to take that step when it was uh, when there was a, a solution that was presented to them that could help with that. They didn't want to take that step to help themselves out. And uh, to be clear, the thing that I came up with on the Musician Support Network was a local thing. Could have been national, but I wasn't charging any dues. The only all I wanted to do was get membership. People committed to the organization enough to say, "We have this many people ready to buy health insurance from you if you will give us a reasonable rate." 
they weren't willing to to take that upon themselves because let's face it if you if you're healthy and you're out there gigging you don't think that someday you're going to have a stroke and someday you're going to need health care insurance and why pay anything because I'm not making enough anyway. I'm, I'm getting paid. A lot of these guys are getting paid a hundred bucks a gig, a hundred bucks a gig. Uh, you know, and only working on the weekend. So maybe that's two hundred dollars a week. Can you live on two hundred dollars a week? No. And can you afford to buy health insurance, no matter how cheap it is, if you're only making two hundred dollars a week? Probably not. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know what the cost of living is where you are, but here in New York, you can't even. $200 a day would be rough, would be rough to survive on. $200 a week, impossible, impossible. You'd definitely be homeless or, or living off of somebody else's, um, somebody else would be supporting you, would have to be supporting you. Oh, I didn't even say uh, good morning to you, Carl. I, so many people in the chat room today. In chat, various chat rooms, the Picardo room. I got to find out what what Picardo is all about because uh, it's hard to. I you know a lot of uh, names that I could not even pronounce in that room. I guess it's in, in Europe or Asia or something. Uh, I got to find out where we are in there and what people are actually doing. But they're not chatting. I just see names in there in there, and there's quite a few of them. Um, so I'm wondering if that's like Twitter where they can there they are. Uh, leaving comments and stuff and saying stuff, but we just can't see what they're saying. If you want to be seen in the chat room, be on, be on YouTube. That's the safest place to be. It's where everybody can see each other. And if if you want to know what other what people are commenting without me having to read them, that's the place to be. Uh, so I guess uh, that's going to be it for today, really. I don't have anything else to say. I'm really sad that um, saddened that David Chindel did not show up. Maybe it's because uh, the first message I sent him was um, confusing. I gave him a a wrong date. Uh, I knew his thing was tomorrow night, and I said, why don't you join me on Tuesday the 10th? He said, there is no Tuesday the 10th. (laughs) That's what happens when you're sending out emails late on a Sunday night, and you're a little bit high and whatever. So I corrected myself late yesterday and said, no, I meant Tuesday the 7th. And they said, sure, how about 10 a.m.? And that was the last I heard from him. Now, he might have the time zones wrong. I noticed uh, people who were on that um, Stanhope issues with Andy um, Zoom call on Saturday, those guys have no fucking clue how the time zones work. And I would expect them to. (laughs) Um, Charlie's not a dumb guy. Charlie's a pretty smart guy. Uh, you know, Stanhope's a smart guy too, but he, I, I guess, um, time zone things are not either one of their forte, but, um, they had it listed as 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Eastern, right? Yeah. 10 a.m. Eastern, which would be whatever time they had it listed, uh, it was all wrong. Yeah, they, the time they advertised was all wrong twice, and the London time was never right. If it was 10 a.m. here, that would make it 3 p.m. in London. 10, 10 a.m. Eastern would make it 3 p.m. in London. They had it for 5 p.m., which would be around the time, I guess, that they were 
ending. So if you were in London and you were, this was done specifically for you, supposedly. This was for to make it easy on the people in in the UK, so they don't have to stay up late. So we're doing a special show for them, and give them the time that will be ending. To lie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Ken's right. There's really no excuse. Dumb smart Google is available to all of us. It really is not that hard to go Google. What is the time zone? Get it right. Uh, instead of just guessing and all that kind of stuff. Um, oh, you were sleeping on, on cam? Were you? <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Uh, well, oh, no, it would be afternoon for you. You're, you're over there. So, you know, I don't know how, uh. Again, I could Google it if I, want, I wanted to find out what time it is for you at 3 p.m. in London there. But uh, <laughs> at least you weren't Tubin. You know what Tubin is. Uh, Jeffrey Tubin uh, on the Zoom call uh, rubbing one out. Uh, he says accidentally. Accident, not accidentally rubbing one out. Accidentally left his camera on. Uh, if you believe that, I have a bridge in Brooklyn that is uh, for sale today only, uh, 25% off. Uh, it usually begins at 2 in the morning for for, for me. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's the nighttime that, uh, Zooms that they do, sure. And I can appreciate that. You know, I've had guests on Call Man and um, Jamie Dykes and, uh, on the Mind Dog TV podcast. And I always am very uh, cognizant of the time zone issues and we'll do a special time when I have uh, people on in the UK Australia as well I do lots of shows with people in Australia and try to accommodate them for special times but uh, you know gotta, the world is becoming a smaller place but we have to kind of when we, when we uh, have people on or catering to people that are several thousand miles away we have to make it some adjustments for for time stuff and realize that we're not all on the same time zone and i appreciate uh this is why i struggled with trying to get this time right and i'm still trying i don't know if the the right the uh time is right here uh but it, i was originally starting at 8 a.m here which was 5 p 5 a.m in pacific and i just realized well that's just kind of cutting off all of california no hope for anybody on the west coast Oregon, even <laughs> don't want to don't want to limit the West Coast to California or uh, Vancouver uh, Pacific Time. So cutting all those people out of the potential audience. So moved it back to nine a.m. Eastern. Not even sure that's the right time. Still six a.m. There. Would you get up six a.m. to be part of this? Some people are, and thank you for that. <laughs> uh, so time zones are, uh, are always going to be a challenge. Uh, one hour later than UK. Denmark is one hour later than the UK, so it's six hours from here. Not bad. That's not bad. So at that 10 a.m. Saturday morning show would have been 4 p.m. for you. See, now, why is that so hard? Why is that so hard to be able to advertise it as the right? So Craig and I are up at 6 a.m. Um, you're uh, Colorado, if I, I have it correct. And so, wait a minute. 6 a.m., you're not Pacific time, right? You're Central time. Or, do I, or Mountain time. You're Mountain time. So that's one hour different from Pacific. Yes, yes. So 9 a.m. here would be 7 a.m. there, if I have that correct. I don't know. Anyway, um, it, it's not, yeah. Uh, so, again, well, you know, 
the thing on, on Saturday, I'm sure a lot of people, I just brought that up, a lot of people who wanted to be there missed it. Uh, I know I knew it was going to be too early for me because I was gigging Friday night and gigging again Saturday afternoon anyway and said, you know what, sometimes you just have to. But I, uh, you just have to say, I can't make it. Sorry, I, as much as I'd like to be there, I can't make it. I understand from people who were there that it was exceptionally funny and a good time. But I also did see a few people who said, I just signed on and it looked like it was ending. Is that it? And that's because they fucked up the advertising on the time zones. Um, you know, it, it just surprised me because I would think, uh, you know, I don't, I would never assume that Doug Stanhope is on top of any of that stuff. But Shelly, I would assume to be right on top of that stuff. He just seemed like a kind of guy who always has his. Uh, eyes dotted and his T's crossed. Maybe I'm wrong. Obviously, in this case, I'm very wrong. He didn't have it. So that's today. I'm sorry about David Schindel. Not, I'm not like people were uh, salivating. Oh, we're waiting for David Schindel. I'm so excited. But uh, I think it would have been a valuable conversation. Definitely would have uh, loved to. Um, <laughs> one job. You had one job. I love the one job shit. Thanks. Um I think it would have been a valuable conversation and to find out about the history of the comedy club and some of those comedians' perspectives on it and, and hear some of the clips on it. You can view the movie uh, on Vimeo. I'm going to watch it. Uh, you know, It's good to see Bob Goldthwait in his prime uh, doing that stuff because Bob Goldthwait doesn't do comedy anymore. He's a director now. Uh yeah, that's a, that's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, no, I know he's got Christina's uh, the queen of sarcasm here today. Um, you know, Charlie does a lot, but that one, you know, really Google it, man. It's not that hard. And to to Chad's point, he fucked up the advertising not just once but twice, and then. Never corrected it, even though people were saying, you still got it wrong. You still got it wrong. And so, you know, a lot of people who were really eager and anticipating it were very disappointed. I don't know. I would, at that point, I would be compelled, if I was Stan Hope and Chaley, to say, well, I know we've already been on two hours, but people are just joining us because we fucked up the advertising on this. I have a responsibility to hang out and get even more drunk and stupid for another hour at least. Give the people something. <laughs> That's what I would have done. Yeah, you can't live the uh, and judge the world by what you would have been done. But no, to Christina's point, Charlie does a lot. I know that. He's got three different podcasts. He manages a, uh unmanageable human being in uh, making sure his life doesn't go off the rails when on tour. Uh, which, you, you know what, if you have a person like Doug Stanhope in your life that you are uh, maintaining the chief administrative uh, uh, person for making sure their business and and uh, performance goes well, that's a high-maintenance uh, thing. That's a job, that's a never-ending job because you can imagine, you know, you can imagine all the fucking baggage that comes along with being the road manager for a guy like that. And I'm not just single and Stanhope out. There's a million of them. Uh, even the people not necessarily in show business, uh, but these high-profile high, high profile, 
presenters and business people that give talks all over the place. I've been in those situations where event managers, you know, with the cult, I had one of those, uh, the, the leader of the cult was one of those people who was a very high-maintenance person, and I worked closely with her a logistics and event manager, and man, what a job that is to keep on top of somebody like that all the time. Uh, Chad says, uh, Stanhope took an edible uh, on an empty stomach and kind of spun out toward the end. <laughs> oh, I'm so shocked by that. Uh, and, and drinking early in the morning, too. I mean, drinking, getting up early, eating an edible on an empty stomach, and then getting loaded on top of that. I could imagine that yeah, he was shot by that and, and by the end of that. But you still had... Uh, Andy around, right? You could, and and some of those people you could have relied on to carry the show on for. The, I'm not telling them what to do, but I would be I would be guilt ridden for those people who came at the wrong time expecting a show because I put out the wrong time for them. I'd feel like I owed them something to, to continue on with the show, <laughs> and I've done that. We've post you know back in the day it hasn't happened recently uh we posted a wrong time for a gig and we started a gig and there were not a lot of people in the room and by the time we were getting ready to complete the gig the room was packed and so we said you know what we're gonna hang out and play an extra hour for free because on on us and that that hour ended up to be another three and a half hours uh but you know yeah, and, and Christina's right. It's not like uh, Stanhope gets any less funny the more drunk and, and inebriated he gets. And it doesn't take a lot of effort for him to be funny. All he has to do, I think he gets funnier as he gets sloppier. But that's just my my take on him. And you don't have to share that opinion. <laughs> um, but to her point is correct. It's not like... Uh, not like you need him to be completely, uh, and especially in that situation where it's really just as hardcore fans. It's not like being in a comedy club where there are potential hecklers and all that stuff. Uh, oh, a- a- Andy basically has to, yeah, open his mouth and, be, and funny for all that. That's true. Um, yeah, Andy's perspective on things, it's his observations and his take on life. Very unique and funny no matter what the subject is, which is what the success of Issues with Andy is all about. I mean, it's what makes it, you know, one of the funniest uh, podcasts out there, if not the, you know. I don't know if you guys have uh, been fans of Brendan's uh, World Record podcast. Uh, That thing is unique and original. And to me, I laugh my ass off as hard as I do. Uh, with with issues with Andy, although I'll say two episodes ago, a week ago, episode of issues with Andy was, I, I was like literally comedy club, like I was in a comedy club laughing out loud, holding my stomach uh, at at some of the stuff that they were doing it was, uh, that Andy was saying, and uh, and then Charlie was bringing up the photos that were freaking people out. I mean, it was just one one of the best episodes ever. So. Hard to compete with that, but I would strongly recommend, if you haven't already checked out, check out the World Record Podcast with Brendan Walsh. Very funny stuff. Brendan's a very ill man, uh, mentally ill. Uh, I am convinced that um, 
whatever, uh, and I'm not saying he's a bad person, but whatever is going on in, in that man's mind, there is uh, his brain needs to be studied when he goes. <laughs> studied for, you know, what the hell is going on up there? Uh, um and he's the only one I know, uh, I shouldn't say the only one, the, the most prominent example of somebody who can just <laughs> insult his his uh, audience, insult his followers, uh, insult people he wants to follow him and not be make an enemy of those people. Like, <laughs> like he gets angry physically. If you've seen this George Washington stuff, it gets intimidatingly angry at his fans and people who are supporting him and uh, makes you laugh <laughs> instead of make you uh, mad at him. So he, that's a gift to be able to be a dick, <laughs> to be a, a dick on purpose and have people appreciate you. Anyway, I got to go get ready for today's show. Uh, this sh- this program is run its course of me just rambling for two hours without a guest to talk to. I do appreciate everybody coming and being part of the chat room. I hope you'll be here tomorrow for Brett because I think that will be a good one. That's 10 a.m. my time, wherever that it, you know, that's when he'll be joining. Of course, I will be live from 9 a.m. Uh, my time, but Brett will be joining me more, I think, 10 a.m. Or did I tell him? I'm going to have to clarify this. I told him anytime between 9 and 11. I don't want you to miss it because then I will, I'm guilty of the same stuff that I'm complaining uh, that uh, Stan Hope and Charlie did. So uh, maybe you should tune in from 9. I'm going to clarify this with Brett today. He told me to send him a reminder. I will say if you can get here uh, closer to 10, that would be good because that's when I told people you would be chiming in. But I think I did tell him. Anywhere between 9 and 11. Anyway, till tomorrow, or if, you, if you're so inclined, join me for at the 1, 1 uh, p.m. to learn about a new author who's kind of, uh, his books, i got to do some research on this, but it's, uh, it's fiction about the Roman Empire, I, I believe. Uh, weird stuff, man. Authors, authors are all over the map. But that will be my show today at 1 p.m. that I need to kind of go do my homework on just a little bit. Not like I have to do a lot of work on it. And then I'll be back with you then. Otherwise, I'll see you tomorrow. I don't have an 8 p.m. tonight, so uh, a 1 p.m. today, or I'll see you tomorrow morning. Thanks for coming. Have a great day, and bye for now. Coffee. Coffee time, man. Grab your coffee.